Our reading this morning is from Colossians chapter 2, and we're reading from verse 6 to verse 15 this morning. I'm going to have to take this out of its case because this morning I might actually have to do some walking to keep myself warm. Hands are single blue. So, Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the element of spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him... You also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven all our trespasses, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So our verses this morning speak so much about our identity and conduct in Jesus Christ and also the hope that we have through what Jesus Christ has achieved by triumphing over any authority. In fact, it says they were put to open shame. I wonder for when we, when we use this phrase that we have received Jesus Christ, what, what do you think that means when we say that? You know, in life we receive many things. I don't know if this is helping or hindering. Because I'm going to catch it with my arm. So I'm moving, sorry, I'm moving the speaker. I'm trying to anyway without dropping it. So if you hear a clatter, it's because I failed. I succeeded. Um, because I'm going to keep hitting it with my elbow. Because I do, I need to move to keep warm. So that is very important. But in life we receive many things. And we would all agree with that. There are things you receive that are gifts. So your Christmases, for instance, and your birthdays, and any time your spouse might be feeling generous, you you might receive something, and we would consider these gifts. And we're thankful, and we're appreciative of them. We receive something, and hopefully we like it, and we appreciate it, and we get some joy out of it. Yeah? We would all agree that that's something that we've all experienced, hopefully reasonably frequently in life. Other things, though, are not quite like that. Other things that we receive, we earn. So, for instance, our wages. We earn our wages. We have to work for them. And hopefully there comes a day at a certain time of the month that you look into your bank account and you've received your pay. And for a little while, everything looks a little bit better when it comes to your bank account. But you receive that. You you earn it. Your holidays, you earn. 
because you have to work to get them. The things we buy, that we enjoy, we earn because we have to use that said finance to buy them. And yet there are other things that we receive that we would really struggle to classify. So for instance, the relationships that we receive, the trust that we receive from others, the love, marriage, children. We don't earn them. It's not how it works. But it's not solely by some gift either. It's a bit more complex. But with all these things that we can receive, there are some which are life-changing. I would say, for instance, marriage is one of those. Marriage should be a life-changing experience because you go from only considering your own needs to putting somebody else's before your own. That should fundamentally change everything. Having children is a life-changing experience as well. You suddenly discover what being sleep-deprived really means. But it changes everything. Careers. When you suddenly change careers, this can change everything. When you start university, or when you go away and do gap years, all these different kind of things, they change things. They become life-changing experiences. So I wonder, when we think about this phrase that we have received Christ, this should be a life-changing experience. It should be the life-changing experience. That which changes everything. Our priorities, our ethics, our hopes, our identity, our values, our expectations. It can change our careers. It can change what we expect we're going to do. So how life-changing is it for us to have received Jesus Christ? To draw our identity and our hope from him. We have received Jesus. But how much has that changed our hopes and our dreams? There are several things I want to look at from these verses and the first of these actually picks up on the children's talk and that is being rooted. Now, I am no gardener. I can, about, I can just about handle weeds if you give me a weed killer. I can cut the grass on occasion but the weather has to be exceptionally nice for such a thing to be plausible for me. But when it comes to flowers and bushes and all this kind of stuff, Nah, I don't have a clue. Not a clue at all. But even I, in my ignorance to any form of gardening, can pick up a couple of important things, that, metaphors that come from being rooted in Jesus Christ, rooted and built up in him. And of course, I'm going to, I'm going to use the metaphor of a tree because we've sung about a tree and it just fits nicely. So... If you walk around, you see trees. Now, trees are rather big things that are quite handy for paper and all sorts of other things, but they have roots. Now, these roots serve a few different functions, actually. Two different functions that I've picked up. There's probably more, but as I said, I'm not a gardener, so I'm going with the two I know. One of these, of course, is that it draws nutrients from that which is around it. 
So if you have a tree and it's got deep roots and they're nice and well spread out and all that kind of thing, it's going to draw lots of different nutrients and it's going to keep growing. Yeah? I've got that right? Yeah. So roots serve that function. But they serve another function which I think is just as important. They serve the function of keeping it where it is in the midst of the storms. So if you have a tree with deep roots and it happens to live in the Aberdeenshire area, at times, very frequently, it's going to get battered with strong winds. Now if the tree's roots are shallow and weak, the tree will get uprooted and find itself elsewhere. If its roots are deep and wide, the tree will stand steadfast in the storm. Yeah? It would. And I think we can apply both of those to Christians as well. Not that we're trees, we're not trees, but that we have to have deep roots rooted in Jesus Christ for these reasons as well. So that when the storms come, our relationship with him, our roots in him are deep enough that we can stand steadfast and not find ourselves blown all over the place. And so that we're drawing that which we need from our relationship with him to continue growing. Okay, that gave me a bit of a fright. Yeah. So if anyone was sleeping, good morning. So we need these roots. The roots to stand steadfast in the storms of life because they will come or we might even find that we're in them. And the roots to keep on growing as Christians. If our roots are shallow, our growth is going to be slow or might even stop. If our roots are shallow, when the storms come, we're going to find that we struggle. We need the deep roots. So then the blindingly obvious question is how deep do we think our roots in Jesus Christ are? And I'll, as I leave you to ponder that question for a wee second, I actually realise there's no real way of answering that question. There is not a checklist or a quiz or a defined set of parameters that we can use to assess how deep our roots are in Jesus Christ. But we can ask questions such as, how are we feeling just now? How much do we trust God just now? How much do we believe in his goodness, his presence his grace, his acceptance right now. Are we wavering? Or are we steadfast? Are we growing? Or are we stagnant? And very simply actually, how much resources are we investing into deepening our roots with God? To grow or develop something requires effort. It requires that we prioritise time for it. If I'm right, I think even to make weird things like a bush grow properly, you have to do things like trimming it and all sorts of nonsense. Is that right? Yeah? Or weird things can happen apparently. I'm not sure what, but things don't go as, as they're meant to. Because there's got to be something intentional about that. And it's the same for us as Christians. We are not going to have deep roots if we're not prioritising time with God. 
We're not going to have deep roots if we're not doing all the stuff basically Ashley mentioned in the children's talk. If we ain't praying, if we ain't got quiet times, if we ain't got Bible study, if we're not prioritising things like church and fellowship and house groups and prayer meetings and things along these lines, our roots aren't going to deepen. This isn't a passive thing. If you want to see passive gardening, you should come and have a look at my garden. And believe you me, there is nothing sensible, ordered or constructive about it at those times. It doesn't work. Our relationship with God is one that's to be active, that's to be intentional, that's to be prioritised. We have to give time to it. Like any other relationship in our life, actually. If our approach to our spouse was that we were going to avoid them as much as possible and spend no time with them and never communicate with them, pretty soon the relationship is going to hit rocky ground. I'd give it probably about 24 hours, actually. The same is true with our relationship with God. We've got to ensure that we are being proactive with it and that we're seeking to deepen these roots that we have. And we've got to be walking. Walking in this faith that we have. We will have all heard the phrase, you've got to walk the walk, yeah? Aye. That's actually what Paul means. That's a brilliant exegesis of what Jewish thought was when it came to the metaphor of walking. That was exactly it. It was about how you lived. Your ethics, your priorities, your focus, your conduct. The lifestyle that you portrayed to those around you. That's what Paul is hoping for from these Christians. That they walk the walk. And not simply just talk the talk. And this is where we live our faith out before the world. This is where we show that we, as the saying goes, practice what we preach. That there is something different about us. Because the reality is, the walk the walk, that Paul is hoping and praying and anticipating that Christians will walk, is one that's different to the walk that everyone else is, that everyone else is on. In other words, we're walking to a different beat. There should be something distinctive and different about a Christian's life as opposed to those around them. Because Christians are to do the kind of things that Jesus asked us to do. Things like turn the other cheek and love our enemies and to seek to be a blessing to those around us and overcome evil with good and to live our lives with Jesus Christ as Lord and under his guidance. Doing these things will make our lives distinct much as it did for Jesus. His life is distinct to those around him. And he never wavered even when people got somewhat intolerant actually to what he was doing and saying. So the walk that we are called to walk will make us stand out because we'd be different. We were distinct. We have a different way of seeing the world because we see it the way God desires us to see it. So we're called to live out that walk before those around us. So before our families, our friends, our work colleagues, our sports buddies, gaming buddies, whatever it might be, 
We're called to walk this walk of Jesus. And let's face it, people are watching us. And we know that because we watch people. We're always trying to get a read of one another. Trying to suss out what makes one another tick. What our priorities are. Whether we can trust somebody. Does what they're saying match who I think they are and the actions that I see them doing? Is there consistency? Are they reliable? What's coming out of their mouths and what can I see coming out of their hearts? We're always doing this kind of stuff, trying to get a read of people. It's human nature. So we can guarantee that others are doing the very same things towards us and trying to suss out, well, what is this faith that he says or she says they have and what difference can I actually see that it's making? Do we walk to that different beat? In other words, have the roots into Jesus Christ changed our walk? Has receiving Jesus being the life-transforming experience that it needs to be? Or do these roots need to continue to deepen? And we have to be aware as well. Let's not ignore the fact that in these verses, one of Paul's primary things is that he is hoping and writing and warning these people not to be taken captive by the philosophies and the deceit of human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the, wor- of the world. There is threats. Threats if these Christians are not aware of what's going on around them. And if they're not aware, they could be taken captive by these things and led into all sorts of different nonsense. Awareness is so important. He, Yesterday we decided to go for a walk in, in Aberdeen, so we went down to the, the, the harbour bit um, alongside where the football stadium is. Um, and we decided we would cut up this grass verge and we'd go for a wee walk. Well, we didn't know where we were going actually. We knew we were heading towards the sea, but that was about as much as we knew. And after we turned this corner and climbed up this little bit with Anna and Jude with us and Jude not in his buggy, we soon found ourselves on the edge of a very tiny but still dangerous enough cliff, basically. So you had the grass verge, let's say the grass verge is here, and then there's a drop here. Now it was only a drop of maybe about 15 feet. But with Anna and Jude, I was kind of a bit, I was like, this isn't great. This is not quite what I was anticipating when, I decided, when we decided we were going to go for a walk. Um, clinging on to Jude's hand for dear life and roaring at Anna any time she went more than two metres in front of us. We didn't have awareness. I don't know if there was actually any warning that if you went up this little bit, you would end up facing a not idyllic walk if you have children along with you. If there was, we weren't paying attention. We weren't aware of what was at the other side of that little climb. And I think there is always the risk that we can have a similar experience as Christians. That if we're not discerning what's going on around us, if we're not thinking about things, then we could soon find ourselves in a situation where we're at a cliff edge. Where we could find ourselves in spiritual danger. Not long ago at night, we, we preached through Romans 12. 
And in Romans 12, what I said over and over and over again was that we are to question everything in light of the gospel. Our ethics, our principles, our priorities, what the church teaches, what the world teaches, what we get from the media, what we see on television, what we're feeding in our minds and our hearts. Everything has to be questioned in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Everything to ensure that it's in line with that gospel. And that's very much similar to what Paul is hoping and praying that these people would do. If they have this proactive nature, see to it. See to it. This isn't passive, this is see to it. If you tell somebody to go and see to it, you expect that they do something. It's an active thing, not passive. So see to it that no one takes you captive. That's what he's saying. So this morning he says the very same thing to each and every one of us as Christians. See to it that no one takes you captive. Question everything and seek to drill in to the gospel. We need to ensure that our roots in Jesus Christ are deep enough that we can do that. That we can do basically a spiritual risk assessment every now and then on our lives. Analyzing and identifying the risks, the dangers, that which might not be in line with the gospel and seeking to change it. And leaders can't always do that for the churches. Paul is addressing a concern here and his solution is see to it. He doesn't spell it out for them or lay it out for them. He just says, see to it that no one takes you captive. And how can we see to it that no one takes us captive? We can only do that if we know well that which they're trying to take us captive from. If we have an understanding, a deep-rooted understanding of Jesus Christ and the gospel that is our hope, of his word, So again, it comes back to, are we deepening our roots? Is there a proactive, focused prioritization of these things? Or is it passive? See to it. That's active. Let's ensure we heed what Paul says, because there is still false teaching around. There is. There's loads of it. So many of the books that you buy in Christian bookshops are filled with nonsense, drivel, distraction, aimed only to pull you into rampant materialism. They propagate things such as the prosperity gospel and they lead people into captivity. We have to have discerning minds because in this age now that we are in a media Overload where we could buy anything. In fact, if I had a Wi Fi connection, I could go onto this, go onto a website and buy a book like that. Or I could download a sermon, a podcast, anything. So easy nowadays for Christians. We've got access to so much information, so much content. But do we have the discerning minds to try and discern that which is true and in line with the gospel and therefore trustworthy and that which actually we need? 
to step back from and dismiss. Paul's recommendation to every Christian was see to it that no one takes you captive. So let's ensure that we have a deep understanding of the gospel and the hope that it gives each and every one of us in our lives. It's so important that we know this hope that we have, that we know the Christ on whom it rests, and that we trust in, in the trust sorry, of God's word. And neglecting these things can mean we find ourselves at one of those spiritual cliff edges. No idea how we got there, or even how to get back from there. So those roots, let's keep deepening them. And we're to be alive. We're alive. I'm not talking about the alive in the physical sense. I'm talking about the alive in the spiritual sense. I wonder, do you feel alive this morning? You've got to, yeah, we're pretty much at the end of the sermon. You've made it once again. But how alive do you feel? How much does the gospel and the hope that we have invigorate our lives, give us energy, enthusiasm, and passion, and joy, and strength, and hope? And how much is it just a bit, meh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Been doing it for a long time, been around the block a few times. I know the gospel, I know how it all goes. I know the latest songs, I've bought the latest albums. I've, I've ticked every box. And read, let's just read these words again. Some of these latter verses. From verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. This is our sin. We were dead in sin. All the mistakes that we made stood as a record against us. Scarlet. And there was nothing we could do about it. This was one of these DIY projects that can't be fixed. It's not like a toilet or anything like that. This one couldn't be fixed. There's no hammer, no spanner, no chisel, no hose, nothing that we could do that could fix it. We were dead in our trespasses and that was that, stuck in our sin. God made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven all our trespasses. So all that stuff, and I don't know what comes straight to your mind when you think about your biggest mistakes, but all of it, all of it is gone. And even though we were dead in our sin, we're now made alive because of the act of God. And it tells us he's cancelled the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. So all that stuff that we'd stacked up, all the different mistakes that we'd made, all the shame that we have felt from it, all the times that we've fought the wrong thing or said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing or not said the right thing, not done the right thing, not fought the right thing, all that stuff that made us fall short of the standard that God had set, all that guilt and shame, cancelled, gone, forgiven, forgotten, not there anymore. It's cancelled. It's a way the record is gone. When somebody looks now at our record, they didn't see it. It's not there. It's 
forgiven. It's forgotten. He set it aside. He nailed it to the cross. And as he did so, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Now, whether you consider that the physical rulers or the spiritual rulers or both, what it tells us is that in Jesus Christ, they have been defeated. There's no one, physical or spiritual, that can bring an accusation on us, on our character, on our conduct, that can stand before God now. Because we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ and turned from those ways. That should make us feel joy. It should make us feel excitement. It should make us feel alive. Because that is what he is saying. We were dead, but now we are alive. We once stood condemned, but now we stand forgiven. How alive do we feel? How much is the gospel impacting that enthusiasm and vigour that we have for life? We might think, oh, I've been a Christian for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. I know all about the gospel. What else is there to know? We can't mine the depths of that radical act of God. We just can't do it. There's always new, amazing, remarkable things to discover about that grace that God reveals in that act of Jesus Christ. So I would encourage us, keep meditating, thinking, reflecting, praying and giving thanks for what God has done in Jesus Christ. Keep drilling our roots into that because that is where our roots need to go. Our roots don't need to go into theology. They don't need to go into history. They need to go into Jesus Christ, into his gospel, because that is where the power and the transformation and the hope and the salvation lies. So does the gospel bore you? Or does the gospel excite you? Does the gospel not influence life? Or does it bring energy for life? Even those questions alone are good indicators as to where our roots are at. We can't mind to the bottom of the gospel. But it can completely transform our life, our priorities and our energies. So drill into it in the life that it brings and pours out into each of our lives. We are I encourage us very simply, prioritize deepening in them. And I don't need to spell it how we do that, we all know. Prioritize those things. Prioritize them. Keep those roots deepening. And as we do so, we will grow. We can be steadfast. Our walk will be impacted. And our enthusiasm and vigor for life will most definitely be impacted as the joy of the gospel impacts our hearts and you. Let's pray. Father God, we take this time now above all else just to thank you for Jesus Christ. For the love that has been revealed through him, his willingness to endure the shame and the pain 
and the separation that came when he was crucified and endured that cross on our behalf. And Lord, the hope that 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 now brings and pours out into each of our lives, the gospel, the good news that we are children of God. The record of day is cancelled. We are reconciled with you. Adopted into your family, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, your word tells us. Loved, accepted, embraced. And there is nothing that could drive that wedge once more between us and you. Jesus says there's nothing that can pluck us from your hand. So Lord, may the joy and the hope of that news continue to impact our hearts on you. Lord, may we never become over familiar with these amazing truths of the gospel. But may they continue to excite and strengthen us every day. And Lord, help us to deepen our roots in you, to continue to grow, to continue to prioritise our time with you. And Lord, to seek to walk that path, that difficult path, which at times can set us at odds with the world, but which is the same path our Saviour walked. So help us. Help us to deepen our roots in you and to be impacted anew by the joyous truth of your gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together to sing a song which just reminds us of the salvation in Jesus Christ. We're going to stand together and sing, You Alone Can Rescue.
To you alone, Lord, belongs the highest praise. Father, we pray that this time that we've spent together this morning will be a time where we have felt your presence here in the midst of us. Lord, we pray that you would help each of us to live lives this coming week that are glorifying to your name. Help us to be fruitful disciples, to be good servants. And Lord, use us in mighty ways. So fill us with your presence. And Lord, go before us this coming week, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.